0: Life seems kind of surreal. Like the fact that I grew up in Ohio and now live in Michigan, but now I'm speaking to a church um, about marriage and family is something that I never thought in my entire life or dreamed would ever happen. In fact, I don't know where a lot of you come from, like your backgrounds and stuff, but uh, I didn't go to church much growing up. Um, My family, I would say they had a belief that there was a God, but we probably, I bet I went to church maybe three times. And so, God was never a part of me, I wasn't that interested, and yet there was that man named Jesus that kind of intrigued me growing up. And I'm the youngest of four, and my sister and I were very best friends, even though she's six years older. And we shared a room, and we both slept in a double bed, and those are those kind of things that you either love the person or you hate the person. And we really loved each other so much. And we went through this period of time, I was 11, and um, she was 17, but we started saying, let's, let's read the Bible. We've never read it before, and we found one in our house that you could actually understand. And so we didn't know anything about it. We started zipping around the pages, and I said, somebody told me that like this book called John talks about Jesus. That's all we cared about was, who's this guy, Jesus? And we started reading about him and were pretty intrigued and amazed at his life. And the Bible is kind of this mysterious, like, cool thing, but we didn't like—I thought part of it's probably real, probably most of it's not. And yet, the more I read about Jesus, he was amazing to me of how he wasn't like anybody else I'd read about or heard about and the fact that he claimed to be God— But I was also really confused, and I really had no idea how a person got into heaven. I was very interested in that, because if eternity is really real, and if there is a heaven, I would really like to go there, I thought. And so I was kind of on this hunt, like, how do you get to heaven? And so after my sister and I were reading, I was saying, like, do you think it's how good you are? Is that how you get to heaven? And she's like, I have no idea. But this Jesus guy is amazing. But we kind of gave up our quest to find out about heaven because we couldn't understand how we got there. And so we made a pact with each other one night where she said, here's the deal, I'll tell you, if I move away or if I come to the point where I understand about this book and Jesus and how to get to heaven, I'll make sure that you're the first one I tell. And I said, all right, I'll do the same for you. So she moved away, she got married, and um, she struggled And I struggled, too. Our family was great, but um, my little secret was I had a lot of sexual abuse from extended relatives. And I didn't know that my sister had too. We never talked about it till later. And so my sister, most of the time growing up as a teenager, she struggled with bulimia. And then when she got married, she really struggled with anorexia Um, to the point she was like probably 95 pounds or 90 pounds at times. So this one Easter, she came home, and she looked totally different. Um, She wasn't throwing up, and she she was like a healthy weight, and she had this joy in her face. And as soon as she saw me, she grabbed me, and she pulled me to her face, and she said, Ann, remember our quest about heaven? I know, like I have found it, and I can't wait to tell you. Well, I'm 16 now. And that quest and that whole thing, I'm not really too interested in that anymore. I was more interested in guys and school and sports. And when I looked at her, I thought she was beautiful and she had this joy. But I was also a little freaked out like, oh my gosh. Because Christians, the Christians that I heard about and talked to me, were the weirdest people ever. Like, I thought they dressed weird, they were judgmental, they spoke weird. And they're trying to tell me about stuff, and I just, I wanted to be away from them as far as I could. And so when I saw my sister like this, I'm like, you've got to be kidding. She has become one of those weird Jesus freaks. And she kept trying to be with me. She's like, when can we get together? Like, I need to tell you this. And she was telling my family about it, and my dad grabbed me. My dad's kind of this self-made man. And he grabbed me, just the two of us. He said, look, your sister is into this Jesus thing. Do you see it? And I said, yeah and he said all right here's the deal your sister is weak she's always been weak and she needs a crutch she needs this Jesus thing so you Ian are like me you're strong you don't need that stuff so don't don't be getting into that stuff I'm like all right dad I hear you well my sister and I I was I was in track and I was going for this jog for six miles and she said let me come with you I'm like, are you serious? You think you're going to run six miles? You don't do anything. She's like, yes, I want to come. I want to talk to you. So we go on this long run and I think she will never make it. And I'm just running thinking she's going to die here anytime. And she starts talking about Jesus and how we can know we can go to heaven and how it's not how good we are. It's what he's done for us because he was perfect. And all we need to do is surrender our lives to him and and at first, I was like, oh, you are so weird. What are you talking about? And the more she talked, the more I thought, oh, my gosh, could this, make, could this be it? Is this real? And it was a miracle to me that she made six miles, nonstop, good clip, and she never stopped talking. I thought, that is from God. <laughs> and so when we got home, we talked some more, and I ended up, I, I did. I, I was alone one night, and I got on my knees, and I said, God... I'm not sure about all this, but I do surrender my life. I I give it to you because I am messed up and I'm full of shame and there's things that I've dealt with and nobody knows about. And if you have a plan for me, I want to know what it is. So for me being here, I would have never pictured this. This is like weird. But I also know that God had a plan for me and this is a part of it. The hardest thing in my life was that my very best friend, Barb, and I got closer and closer and closer. The older we got, she had four boys. I had three boys. We never lived close together, but we talked every day on the phone. And one day she called me. um, She had just been to the doctor. She was 44 years old, and they told her she had lung cancer, stage four. She never smoked. She's a health nut. Um, And she died five months later. Hardest thing I've ever gone through. But the amazing thing was, is my dad, who thought she was so weak, I've never seen anything like this woman die so with dignity and praise on her lips to God for all he had done for her. Was she mad? Yeah, I was furious. But there is this strength that she had that could only come from a relationship with God. And that is what drew my dad. god to jesus and um when things like that happen in your life you know when like those pivotal moments a death especially have you ever sat in a funeral and all your priorities shift like you you sit there and think this is what matters like what really matters and i was with her when she died and i took off all of her jewelry And I held her hands and she had a bracelet on that we both had. And she had this ankle bracelet on. And I looked at her and I thought, you take nothing with you. Nothing. She had this gorgeous house and money and nothing. She takes nothing. But she had everything, you know. She had everything because of her relationship with God. And she would live forever, the Bible says. And so because of that shifting, since she has died... I'm telling you, it makes you want to commit to the things that matter in life, the things that don't matter. Like, why do we put so much time and energy and stress into stuff that really doesn't matter? And so, that's what we're going to talk about today, is legacy matters. Your legacy, like your life makes a difference. God has a purpose and a plan for you because he loves you and he wants you to fulfill something that will fulfill you. And he has a plan for you. And so as we look at legacy, we're going to talk about commitment, of committing to things that matter. And when I hear commitment, um, I, since I've been a little heavy this morning, let me, uh, let me take you to one of the times I committed most in my life. It was our 25th wedding anniversary. My husband was asked to do a, a wedding in Mexico. And it was all free, all paid, at an all-inclusive resort. Have any of you been to one of those? They're awesome because they give you this little wristband and you pay for nothing. You just show your wristband and you eat and you drink and it was beautiful. So we're there for a week. And the the people that were at the wedding were like, you guys have not been to the show. There is a show every night. You need to come to this show. And so we're like, all right, like, when is it? And there's this huge auditorium at the resort. has probably a 1,000-seat auditorium, and there's a big stage. And we go there that night waiting for the show, but they always do a little game before the show. And so the guys get up there, and they say, we need volunteers. People that are married, we need volunteers for a game we're going to play. And we're like, no way, we are not doing this. And he says, and there's going to be a prize at the end. So Dave, my husband's really cheap, and we hears prize. He's like, we we might win something. Like, they could bring us back here for like seven days. Let's do it. And so we get up on stage, and there are eight couples. And he said, tonight we are doing a dance competition. We are the worst dancers. And you know when you know you're not very good dancing, and you have to dance in front of people? It is a nightmare. So Dave looks at me. I'm, like, I'm freaking out. Like, we this is awful. And they're like, we're going to be doing dances from around the world and your applause will keep people or kick them off. So Dave turns to me and says, let's get kicked off first. I'm like, yes. He's like, let's not get a sweat. Let's just get kicked off. I'm like, okay. So the first dance is a waltz. Every single dance or any music that goes on, my husband does the same dance and it's this. He's doing the waltz like this. And I'm like, I think you're supposed to do like a one, two, three thing. He's like, no, honey, this is what we're doing. We're getting kicked off. So we don't get kicked off first, but we get kicked off second. And they said, okay, Dave and Ian are off. Give them, Dave and Ian from Michigan, let's give them a, a, an applause goodbye. And so they're like, no, no, bring them back. We want them. We're like, are you insane? Did you watch us? And I'm worse and so these people are all from Michigan, a lot of them in the group, so they bring us back. We make it to the final three, and we have to dance alone with a spotlight by ourselves, each couple one at a time. And they keep saying, but you guys, you're going to win a prize. And so Dave and I get up there, and Dave's like, Ann, we are last, the last three. We have to win to get this prize. And so the guy says, this dance will be 60s music, acrobatic. And I see Dave's eyes light up because he loves 60s music. And I was a gymnast for 10 years. So he turns to me, he's like, you do your one-arm push-ups and do a couple flips, we win. We win the prize. And so I'm like, and at this time I'm thinking, this resort is unbelievable. If we had five days here, or three, I don't care, it'd be amazing. So the music goes, and Dave's like... You know, he's doing his thing, and he's doing all this. So I start going, like, I'm running back and forth on the stage, like, trying to do it. And I'm old. I'm old now. I don't care. The adrenaline's gone. I have my shoes kicked off. I'm doing this stuff, and it comes to the finale, and Dave's on one end, and I'm on the other, and and we're like, how are we going to finish? It has to be something big. And he looks at me, and I look at him. We make eye contact, and he does this. (laughs) I'm like, what does that mean? I I have a second down here, I'm like, what does he want me to do? So in my head, I'm thinking, remember that movie, Dirty Dancing? Remember when Patrick Swayze, she jumps, and he, he like, picks her up, and he's like, woo? and I'm thinking, okay, he's just going to do this, and he'll just take me around, and we look at each other like, got it. (laughs) So I'm a gymnast, and you know in gymnastics, you can't go 50% on any move. Like, if you're going to do it, you commit to your stunt or whatever you're doing. So I'm like, all right, here we go, you know. I I run as fast as I can, and I think I'm going to need to get up in the air so he doesn't have to lift me too high. So I run, I jump, I go into his arms. He's gone. He's gone. He's back here doing this little thing. (laughs) I smash to the floor. The audience is like, oh! The guys run up to me, and Dave's like, what happened? What happened? He has no idea. And the guy who's working there turns to Dave and, like, dude, what is your problem? You need a counselor. And Dave, my husband, says, I am a counselor. <laughs> I am so hurting on the ground. My wrists are killing me. And I am laughing so hard because I think we are the dumbest people on the planet. Who does that? And so I'm laughing and I get up, and just so you know, we won. And it, it was probably a sympathy vote, you know, I'm sure it was. But we're all ready, you know, I'm standing here like this, like my, my wrists are just throbbing. And the guy comes up and, David, Ann, for you we have two free t-shirts. <laughs> oh my gosh, it was awful. But I want you to know, I broke both my wrists. Didn't find out till I, I went home. And um, Dave and I still think we... I mean you're like this person is speaking to us this morning. Are you serious? Like she must be one of the dumbest people ever. Who does that? But we did it and the reason I break that up, bring that up is because commitment is so necessary. Stupid at times if you're jumping into someone's arms that may not catch you, but if God is catching you, it feels very different. And just so you know because I had people come up to me afterwards they're like, "What did they think you were going to do? Like what was his plan?" Because that was a big fight of ours. He's like, Where, you knew that you were supposed to dive. You're supposed to dive through my arms and do a flip out of them. I'm like, that is impossible. I, <laughs> nobody can do that. I, Mary Lou, Renton, I don't care, nobody could do that. He's like, that's, that would have been cool, like a porpoise kind of thing. Like, <laughs> As you can see, we're really good at communication. That's why we do so much marriage stuff. But, but that's the word I want you to hold on to today, commit. What does it look like to commit? Because we're going to talk about legacy and what it means to commit to three different things. And the first one is this. Commit to loving your family. That's where legacy starts is your family, your own family. What does it look like to commit to loving them? Because it starts at home and it starts with our own legacy. And Jesus actually talks about this in John 15, 12. Look at what he says. He says, my command, it's a command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And sometimes in our families, those are the hardest people to love sometimes. Those are, the, those are the relationships with parents, with siblings, with a husband, with children. It's just hard sometimes. And we can go out of the home and we can give our best face, but when we come home, it can be really hard. And God is asking us, to start it there. Look at the verse in Ephesians four thirty two. Paul is talking to the church of Ephesus and he says this, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. And I'm telling you, I feel like so often we hold on to things, we hold on to bitterness or hurts that have happened and God is saying, be kind, forgive, be compassionate. And I work with a lot of high school girls, and one of the things that has really killed me, and one of the things, even from my family growing up, of extended family, of some of the abuse that happened, is sometimes for me, my own family felt safe, but my extended family felt really scary. And one of the things that my goal was, and my husband's goal was, for our children, is that our home would be a haven where love was built that trust was built and that started with dave and i in their marriage and it started with our kids seeing our relationship and it it made us commit to having the best marriage we could have and that if that meant going to counseling conferences dinging up some of the junk that we both carried because we've never seen it modeled dave comes from a both his parents were alcoholics and his dad cheated constantly on his mom. So we didn't even look know what it looked like to love a family and to have a haven in a home. And so we thought, who are we? Who are we, Dave and Ann? Like, what one word would we want our kids to hold on to besides loving Jesus? What do we want our home to exude? And the things that we thought, like, based on our personalities, it would be love and joy. That our kids would be able to come home from anything and feel like, I am loved here. I'm accepted here for who I am because our kids are really different. All of them are very different. And we wanted it to be a place where they loved being there because it was fun. You know, it it was that we would play jokes on each other and we would do things outside and we're kind of a sports-oriented outdoor family. So we love doing that stuff. And, I, and all of you are different. And even the family that will, you will have one day, what will it look like? What do you want it to look like? Because it should look like how God has wired you. So one of the things I thought was, on the outside, I feel like there are storms going on all the time, aren't there? Like, I still see it with these high school kids, and when my kids were in school, like, there's so much stuff to be tempted by, and they're saying, this will give you life and joy. And we wanted our home to be a place where they, when they were faced with the decision of, do I want this, will this bring me joy? Or am I loved and accepted for who I am here and will I find more joy at home? And so we became intentional about creating a place at home that was that, a safe haven. And I'm telling you, isn't it hard as a parent? Because if you're a parent, sometimes you're so drained, you're so tired, you can't wait for your kids to go to bed and just veg out to watch a TV program or something. And it's hard sometimes to keep that as a priority when work stresses you and, and relationships stress you and I was at that point one day when our kids were little. I think they were like six, nine, and eleven. Dave was out of town he'd been out of town for a while, which made me get a little like, "What are get home like I can't do this by myself." And um, all the kids were outside. it was in the fall because Dave was traveling with the lions. And they all ran in our house. There were probably, there were nine kids that ran in the house, ages 13 down to five. And they're like, my boy said, Mom, you have to play Capture the Flag with us tonight. We don't have a 10th person. We need to have even teams. And I'm looking at my kitchen. I'm looking at my house. It's a wreck. I'm tired. I'm burnt out. I'm mad at my husband. And I'm thinking, the last thing I want to do is go play Capture the Flag. Do you know Like, I'm going to do this stuff. You guys are going to bed, and I'm going to do nothing. But one of the things that I remembered at that point was my sister and um, how brief our time is, even with our kids and our family and people we love, and how I remember committing at her funeral, like, I need to make the most of it every day of what really matters. And so I put my kitchen towel down. You know, I okay, I'll come. And I'm like, where are all the other moms? Why am I the only mom out here? And so, but then when you get in the competition, you know, it's like, okay, I'm in now. So I am running through the woods. My shoes are, are fly. My had like flip flops on. They flew off. I'm going through this like jungle, and this 13 year old is chasing me, and I have to free my people. You know. <laughs> I I have to get to my team because a bunch of them are in jail and so like I am running for all I can The weeds and the bushes are hitting me and I free them and we win and the boys go to bed like that was the best night ever Our team won and it was just kind of that I'm glad that time I made the right choice because there were so many other times that I don't and I didn't And I woke up in the morning and my eye was swollen shut I'm like, oh, that's great. This is great So I have to go to the doctor, the eye doctor. I find out I have a thorn in my eye from the night before. They have to surgically remove it. And it was so funny because I'm so like, geez, look, look at this stuff that happens. But I'm also a real believer in building memories for the family. And don't I? I'm laying on the floor. I get thorns on my eyes. I create these terrible memories, but my kids remember them. So that day... I guess it was a couple days later, all those same kids that have played Capture the Flag are back in my family room. I'm in the kitchen, and I can hear them all talking. And I hear my 11-year-old son turn to his buddy and say, Dude, did you hear my mom got a thorn in her eye from playing Capture the Flag? And this other guy is, Dude, are you serious? Like, how did they get it out? He said, She had to have it surgically removed. And all these kids, all these boys are in the room, and this one kid goes, CJ, your mom is awesome. (laughs) And I just sat there and I think, oh my gosh, how many times have I missed it? How many times have I gotten lost in the things that don't matter when I have a legacy in my own home of loving my husband and he loving me? And I'm telling you, it's not easy to love me. I, I am a mess sometimes, and I'm strong sometimes. And I am so thankful that we have a God that gives us power to do that. And, and a God that reminds us of what really matters because everything is going to pass away. And there's only two things that will last forever, people and God's word. And I want my kids to go away from my home with Jesus and knowing that God has something for them. So that's the first one. Commit. Commit to loving your family. Here's the second one commit to reaching to reach your neighbor, commit to reach your neighbor, because God has not just a plan for us, the first place we go is home, but then he also wants us as believers and followers of Christ to impact our world, that we would look different to people. You know how I saw Christians and thought they're the weirdest people ever? Like, but there was something about some of them, like my sister, I was so like, what happened to you? Like, why aren't you in bondage anymore to what you eat or what you don't eat? And why, like, where's that joy coming from? That was the most attractive thing I have ever seen. And that her marriage was struggling, but she still found a sense of, God loves me. And I grew up, because of my abuse, with so much shame of feeling like I was so unworthy and so unlovable. And like, God, did did he have a plan for me? I was so drawn to her, of her hope. And that's when you commit your life to God and you surrender to Jesus Christ. He gives us that. I have no doubt. That even though I didn't think my life would come here, it has been the best ride I could have ever dreamed of. If somebody said, you're going to be a pastor's wife, I would have been like, shoot me now. Like I, That's like the worst thing I can think of. And it's been the best thing. Like, who would have fought? And that's what God has for us. And so we need to take what we have, if you've experienced that, and give it away. Look at um, Matthew five jesus is talking and he says this is what he's saying to his followers you are the light of the world a city set on a hill cannot be hidden nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house let your light shine before men in such a way that they'll see your good works and that will they will glorify your father who is in heaven i have always loved those verses Because even in biblical times, you know they strategically set cities on a hill purposely so that travelers could see the light and they would know where to go. That is the picture that God gives for us. He has strategically put us in places. At school, in our homes, in our workplace, in in our jobs, in, in working out at a club. He has strategically put you there to be a light. To everybody and not a light that fakes it because there's nothing more attractive than i have jesus and you know my life is perfect because we're not we're all totally messed up but god wants us to be authentic but say i know i messed up but my hope is in him and what he's done for me we are the light of the world and um this this past year is the first time that dave and i have been empty nesters and my, our oldest son got married in July and our youngest son lives at school all the time because he plays football. And I, I prayed to God, God, like, this has been my job and I've always been doing ministry, but, like, I want to see, I want to impact a life. I want to see visible evidence. I want to see a miracle. Like, use my life. I, I know I messed up, but if you could do anything with this mess... I would so love to see a miracle, God, a miracle. And in James, it says, you have not because you ask not. And so like, I'm asking, I'm asking. Two weeks later, and and yeah, you pray that prayer, and then you forget about it. And you're like, okay, whatever, that didn't happen. And so I'm like, okay, and I'm going along my life. And my best friend has three daughters. And they're all getting together with their girlfriends to watch The Bachelorette. So I'm over there. And I kind of like that because I have three sons, and this is outside my world. I'm like, okay, this is fun. Um, and I see a girl there that graduated with my youngest son. I knew her a little bit, and I knew that she was this incredible athlete, and she had gotten a full ride to the University of Louisville playing soccer. And I saw her, and she had just finished her freshman year. I was like, Ange, it is so good to see you. Like, tell me, like, how are you? Are you doing okay in college? And how is soccer going? And I haven't talked to you in a long time. And And her face just like she turned white, and she got all teary, and she was very awkward, and she just said, um, I'm not doing real good right now, uh, but thanks for asking, and she walked away, all teary, and I thought, oh, that's so sad. The very next day, I get a call from her. She got my number from my son, and she said, hey, Mrs. Wilson, I'm just wondering, can I come over and talk to you? I'm like, sure, and, uh, she sat on the couch, and I said, what's going on? She said, well, um, I want to tell you my story. And that is, I just tried to take my life for the second time. And I don't know, what, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what to do. I lost my scholarship. And um, I, don't think there's, I don't think there's any hope for me. And I just, you asked what was going on, and I just had this feeling that I wanted to talk to you. And so we sat together for about an hour, and um, I said, who are, like, who are you, Ange? Like, if I said, who are you, what would you say? She said, I'm a soccer player. That's all I've ever been. That's all I am, and now I don't have it, and I don't know who I am. I said, no, wait, that's what you do. It's not who you are. Who are you? And she said, I have no idea. I said, what do you feel about God? She's like, I'm so mad at him. Like, why does he let stuff happen that's bad? I just, I want to just run from him. And yet there's a part of me that feels like I need him. And that's why I called you and I don't know what to do. And so I explained the gospel to her. And um, there was such a heaviness to her soul. I've never done this before. And I'm like, what am I doing right now? And I said, Ange, I'm going to ask you to pray out loud with me. And she's like, I've never prayed out loud. I've prayed like silently, like three times I said, I know, but I want you to tell God everything you just told me. Like, tell Him how you're mad and what you're thinking of, of what's going on. And I'm amazed that she did it because if I were her, I'd have said no. And she did it, and it was one of the sweetest prayers I've ever heard of—just her, her heart and her anger and her frustration, but her hope. Like, is there something for me? And then she came over the next day and we talked again. And I kind of walked through my story and what Jesus had done and what Jesus has for all of us and how he wanted, he wanted her, he wants her to surrender everything, like everything. And, and I said, do you want to give him everything? And she didn't tell me that day, but she told me later that she couldn't because she felt like she was so unworthy and so full of shame that he would never want her. And so I explained and I said, if you get on your knees one night and give him everything, you will begin a journey with God The Bible says you become a new creature in Christ, that he gives you his spirit, and God does have a purpose for you, and he's wired you, and he made you for something, and uh, she called me up, and like, I had to hold the phone out here, she's like, I did it, I want you to know, I got on my knees, I gave God everything, like, everything, like, there's nothing left, I gave him everything, I feel like a million pounds have been lifted from me, and um, and I, you know, I'm like, okay, well, this is kind of where it begins now, because that's the first step. And then we need a disciple or a person to partner with us to teach us. It's like she's a baby. You need to learn how to walk. So she's like, okay, I'll be over tomorrow. So she comes. I, I was meeting with her like four times a week. She'd be over. Okay, tell me. She's like a sponge. And she still had issues that she needed to deal with. But she had this like, I need to tell somebody. You know that? Like, I have to tell somebody about this. I can't wait to tell somebody. And, and I said, we're doing baptisms um, in a couple weeks. And this could be the next step, like think about it, pray about it. She's like, I don't need to, I want to do it, I want to do it. And I said, well, part of it is telling your story. And she's very well known in our town. And um, she, she didn't want anybody to know her story. And so she's like, oh. And then she stopped for like two minutes. And then she's like, I'm telling it. I'm going to tell everybody because I, I, God's done something in me. It's like it's just this light is like beams, like boom, 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 boom. And uh, I'm like, okay. So the amazing thing was, is I got to baptize her on our stage, like up here. And, you know, she's like, after she comes out of the water, she's like, yes. And we didn't know it at the time, but there is a 16-year-old girl there that heard her story and who had just gotten out of the hospital a week ago from trying to take her life. And so when she heard Angela's story, she was so inspired by it, she calls me. I don't even know where these girls get my number. She calls me the next day. And she sits down on the couch. She's like, I want to do, I need Jesus. I need to do what Angela did because I have no hope right now. And you guys, it's just been, you talk about miraculous. Like it had nothing to do with me, zero. But God using Angela as this light She's meeting with this other girl. She's been meeting with her now four times. This girl's 17 years old. She has a relationship with God, and she's tried to take her life four times. It's like this epidemic in our our city of high schoolers, and she's a cutter. And so for Angela, she, I mean, she just called me like two days ago. It's like, okay, I'm meeting with Maddie and this is what we're doing. And Maddie's starting to grow. And, and, and Maddie's biggest complaint, she said, was nobody understands what I've been through. And Angela's like, I get it. Like, I've been there. I know. And I sit there and you guys, have you ever just like, for me, it's like I'm witnessing this miracle. I'm witnessing somebody loving their neighbor's. And it's not something they muster up. It's almost like even for me, God just, I'm praying and and God brought him to me. I think we forget how much people need to know that God has a purpose, that God has a plan, that he loves you no matter what you've done or where you've been or, or, you know, what your thoughts are, that he loves you and he has so much for us. And so I think that the word commit is so true, like commit to it, commit to loving your neighbor, commit to reaching them by just loving and serving them. Sometimes it's not even with our voices, it's just with with our actions of loving them and accepting them as they are. And the last one is this, the last one is being committed to spiritual maturity. Commit to spiritual maturity. This is one of my favorite verses in Romans 12, 1 and 2. And this was the ones that really hit me in my new faith when I was new, um, in my relationship with God. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to listen to this part, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, like just giving them to God, giving him everything, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And listen to this part. As a result of that, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. When we allow God, when we surrender to him, he transforms us into new creatures. And it's, it's breathtaking to watch when I watch somebody else and what God's done and the story, that those slides at the very beginning of the story that God has in each of us, it's amazing. And so my, my question to you is, you know, are you committed to your spiritual maturity? Because I don't know about you, but sometimes in this area, is I get lazy. I just get lazy and everything else becomes more important. And yet, I'm not lazy in other areas. Like, I'll work out five times a week. And I know what it takes to do that. I know I have to eat well. I know I have to do cardio. And I know I have to lift weights. And I sat there and I thought, look at me. I know what it takes to train. I, we all get personal trainers, you know, to be in shape. We need personal trainers spiritually. We need people to walk alongside us and say, okay, here's what the workout is today. And wouldn't it be awesome? And that's what God intends. That's what the church is for. In small group and walking shoulder to shoulder. And I feel like we all need somebody ahead of us who's helping us grow, beside us as just kind of a partner and somebody behind us that we're giving it away. And um, I feel like that brings us joy. There's nothing like that when I think we, I forget sometimes that God wants a relationship with me, that he wants me to talk to him, and he wants me to listen to him through his word and through people. And I need to be committed to that because I get lazy, and, but I notice a difference when I do commit to that. And to, um, just to end, I I have to tell you of a time that 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 was true for me, and it was when my husband Dave was, um, I was going to be traveling, and he was going to stay at home. Our boys were little. It was the first time he was going to be with them alone, and I was going to speak on marriage to all the chaplains, um, the chaplains in the NFL, their wives. I was going to talk about marriage, and so I was reading these books all week on marriage, like how your husband can't meet all your needs, only Jesus can, and I'm like, oh yes, yes, I'm going to talk about this, and and how we need to find our satisfaction in our relationship with God, yes, I'm going to talk about this, and don't put all these expectations on your husband, yes, this is so good, so I'm getting ready for that, in the meantime, it's a month out, I tell Dave, hey, the headlight's broken on the car, it's out, can you make sure you fix that before I leave on this trip? He's like, absolutely, no problem, in the meantime, I'm getting everything ready at home. I'm making meals. I'm doing notes, you know, what to do. I'm getting the house clean, laundry done. The day before the trip, I say to Dave, you still haven't fixed the headlight. He's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I've got a meeting. I'm going to get it fixed on the way home. I'll get home. You can take the car. We're good to go. I'm like, please don't forget this because I don't want to get a ticket, and I want to have this good. It's a long trip. He's like, "Yeah, I'm not going to forget So he's running late, I have my bag in the driveway, he pulls in, gets out, I'm throwing my bag in, give him a hug, get in the car, reverse. You got the headlight fixed? Oh, and I totally forgot. I look at him, I go, unbelievable unbelievable I put it in reverse he's chasing me in the car he's chasing me stop and stop no I'm gonna follow you I'm gonna follow you to Kmart we're gonna switch it because you won't I can't pay to get it done I'm gonna switch it and we're gonna and you'll be all set I'm like no you've had a month it is too late and so I'm backing up he our kids two kids are in car seats He's throwing them in the van. Get in the van! He's throwing them in. Nobody's in seatbelts, and he's like, he's trying to chase me. And the whole time, you know how you can get so mad, and you feel so righteous in your anger. It feels good when you know you're right, doesn't it? And I like—I knew I was right. And so I'm taking everything I did. I thought, like, look, well, you know how much I did to get ready for this trip. Everything, everything. I'm making meals. I do this. I stuffed that thought inside. What did he do? Nothing. Nothing everything is more important than me. He never, ever picks me as a priority. I stuff that thought in. It's like, you know, he had a month. Oh, you think he could do it in a month? Oh, and I'm stuffing all these thoughts in and I'm like, it feels good. You know, when you're right, it just feels good to hang on to it too. So I'm going over all these thoughts. I'm thinking, I look better too like this. I am. (laughs) This, this is me right here. And as I'm like, oh, yeah, and I'm just going through all the stuff he's done and he hasn't done and how I am such a better wife than he is a husband. And I'm driving, and I hear this still, small voice. What about the stuff you read this week? And I'm like, what stuff? No, no. And I can tell if have you ever sensed like God's wanting to talk to you? I'm like, oh, there's no way. I am going to relish this moment, God. I am not going there. I turn up the radio. Seriously, like I turned it up. And I'm, I'm going through, and I feel like God's Spirit is saying to me, Anne, take it out. Because this is all bitterness and resentment, and you know what it really is? It's ammunition for later, because I'm going to need it later. <laughs> and so I'm like, oh, no, God, no, because I feel like he doesn't care about me. I feel like everything else is more important, and I feel like I should be able to hold on to this. And I felt like God was saying, Ann, take it out and give it to me. And so I was like, you know, I'm driving right? all right, God, then I'm going to tell you what I really feel like. I am mad. I'm mad that he's done this, and I feel hurt. And, and like, what about this? And I, I laid everything out, every piece of it. <laughs> and so, um, and as I did that, I gave it to him. It's like, I give, you, I give you that I want him to meet my needs, and I feel hurt that I'm not more important, and I blah, 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 I lay it all out. And we get to Kmart, and Dave's running in. He changes the light, and he looks at me like, okay. You know, he's like ready to be killed. And I said, honey, I'm all right. Like, I'm okay. I feel like I've really given it to God. And and he's like, thank you, Jesus. And I said, I still want to talk about it later. And then he's like, oh, great. But I said, because I want you to know what I felt. But before, you know what, I would have held on to this stuff, and I would have used it against him. And I only share this story because, one, I was at a point at that time in my life where I could hear God's voice. And there have been other times in my life that I've been so distracted by everything else, when he calls my name, I don't even hear him. You know? Like, everything else shouts so much louder, I'm not even hearing him. And I wish I could say I always hear him, and I don't always. But when I have committed to spiritual maturity, i feel like he's there he's always waiting for us and i and i bring that up too because some of us have held on to stuff for a long time stuff that we've held on against god and each other and our spouse parents kids and all it does is leak poison throughout our whole system you know and i think god's saying give it all to me give it all to me I hope that we could all be like Angela, just saying, I gave him everything. I gave him everything. And she's like, I feel like I've been set free. And isn't that what God longs for us to do, is to be set free to be the people that he made us to be? So legacy starts with our families. We reach out to our neighbors, but ultimately the most important step is our own relationship with God, because he gives us the power source to be able to impact others and gives us the power to do it and we don't have it. So will the band come up? And will you guys, let's pray before I get off the stage here. Father God, you are amazing. I am so thankful that you always hear us, that you're always here for us, that you long to give us purpose and hope. You long to set us free. And God, I pray that we would surrender. I pray that we would trust you enough, that we would give you everything. And if there are people here that don't trust you, I pray that they would get to know you better because you are trustworthy. And God, I pray you'd protect our marriages. I pray you'd protect our families. Give us the eyes to see people. Give us your eyes and your feet and your ears and your mouth that we would impact our world and be a light because we can't do it without your power through the Holy Spirit. And I thank you for these people. I pray you would bless them and protect them. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.